Man, well, we're so always glad to see you, and and obviously God isn't judging you for living in Florida. I mean, you only had a tree and a fence, so that's and a massive hurricane. I guess you know. Hey, that's great. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. Oh, my mouth. Sometimes. All right. So good to see see them and all the others that have come out today. God bless you for being here. So well, as you know from the reading today, we're in we're in Jeremiah. And uh, now, brother, this is on before I yell at you about not about turning it up. I did check it. No, yeah, it's on. Okay, I went on a tirade last week about it not being on and or loud enough, and it just wasn't on. Yeah, so that was my bad. So Russell forgave me, didn't you? Yep, thumbs up. All right. I was going through my Bible reading this week, and and I'll tell you a, a verse. It just jumped out at me. A verse did this week, and I and I normally don't get out of series really, except for the last, you know, half a year. I've been out of a series. Seems like no, I'm kidding. And uh, but uh, I, I tell you, God spoke to me through this, and I hope He does the same through you. And uh, here in Jeremiah chapter, we're in ch- twenty-two, and and we will get there. But we will get to the this our text. We will get there. T- uh, not tonight. We we will get there at the end of the message. Okay. So you can hold your place in Jeremiah. And if you would this morning, turn back to second Chronicles chapter 33. And I'm going to, I'm going to lay out some history for you here and build a background in history before we get to where we are in Jeremiah. Um, now, if you remember, I want to go all the way back to Solomon. Don't get excited. It takes just a few minutes. But go all the way back to Solomon. You remember Solomon came to the, came to the throne after David, his father. And the thing that Solomon asked for was wisdom. And God, God loved hearing that. And, and I love the word of Solomon. He said, I'm but a child. I don't know how to rule these. I don't know how to, uh, these, you're, you're great people. I don't know what to do. And he said, I want wisdom. And God gave him wisdom and riches and honor and everything to go along with that. But as time progressed, and one of the first errors we see in Solomon's life, even though he had wisdom, even though he had the wisdom of God at that time, he took Pharaoh's daughter to be his wife. This was a military strategic move. He put her in Jerusalem. He realized Egypt's not going to, to going to, to uh, or the Pharaoh's not going to lob, quote, missiles in, in, into Jerusalem where his own daughter is living. So he put her there, and I believe it was strategic. But we know in Deuteronomy, the kings were told, the kings of Israel, yea, all of Israel was told that they weren't to take wives of strange, of strange nations, of strange comp- of countries. They, and Solomon should have really never taken the Pharaoh's daughter to be his wife. And d- during this whole time, though, the wisdom didn't cease, and we see the, 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 the power of God on Solomon's life. And, and this isn't in the notes. And I don't know if any of this is really in notes, but, but, but the, the, the wonderful thing that about this whole thing, and, and notice this in Solomon's life. God knew, God knew where Solomon was going to end up. He knew where he was going to do, where his heart was going to take him and where all of these different wives were going to take his heart. But God dealt with him where he was then, not where he was going to be. And I'm thankful that we have a God that is the eternal now, and He deals with us where we are today, not where we might be tomorrow. That's a blessing. That's a good place to say amen if you realize that in your life. But Solomon, here he is in in, in a strategy. But as he goes on, we have this wonderful dedicatory prayer of the temple. Everything's looking wonderful. Israel's happy. Queen of Sheba comes up and says, I can't believe it. The half has not been told. This is awesome here. 
And then in a few verses, a few chapters, we see that Solomon loved many wives. Strange wives. They weren't weirdos. They might have been. I don't know. But that word strange there means they were just foreigners. They weren't Israelites. And they brought in with them their own gods. They brought in with them their own idolatry. And would, would, I, I just can't fathom this. And it makes me pause in my own life because we are all cut from the same cloth. And as one man said, from the same cookie dough. We're all from the same. We have all the same propensities. And I cannot fathom that. Here is Solomon with all of the wisdom and all of the presence of God and all that he did. In just a few chapters, he's offering, he's offering incense to Ashtoreth, the, one of the gods of his wives. Wow. And do you realize, really, Solomon brought in idolatry into Israel. And from the time of Solomon to where we are going to see at the time of Josiah, the idolatry really never left. Yea, I don't think it has left yet. And so we have Solomon who introduced this into Israel. And on down the line after Solomon came Rehoboam. And with Rehoboam, Israel split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. One we call Israel, one we call the southern, we call Judah. Within Judah is Jerusalem. And reigning in Jerusalem as time went on, we come to the man by the name of Hezekiah. We loved Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a godly man. He came in after, after his wicked daddy and he just began to clean up Israel. He began to get all the trash out of the temple. He opened it up again. It was a good day in, a good day in Judah again. And, and his heart was right with God except for one little silly thing. He went and told, told the oh, Sennacherib's kids, I believe it was, what was all. He showed them all around the temple. And Isaiah came and said, what did you do? Yeah, it messed up. And you know, 90 years later, Israel dealt with that. They had to deal with that. But anyway, Hezekiah had a heart to God, for God. And there came a time in Hezekiah's life where Isaiah was sent to him. And Isaiah said, you're going to die. Get your house in order. The Lord says, your, your time is up and your number is up. So Hezekiah, the Bible says, went and put his face to the wall. He cried out to God and he began to tell God, I've, I've done all these good things for you. I've, look what I've done for you. And, and, and would you extend my life? And God tells Isaiah, go back. Tell Hezekiah, I'm going to give him 15 more years. So he goes back and Hezekiah is told by the prophet that he's going to get another 15 years. Hezekiah says, show me, give me a sign. So God says, okay, what do you want? He says, well, turn the, turn the, sundial, back, uh, turn the sundial 15 degrees. Well, forward or backward? Well, forward's easy. Turn it back. So he does. Hezekiah gets 15 years of more life. And during those 15 years, he has a son. And, 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 the, and his son is, 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 is the, is becomes the king after him, whose name is... Uh, uh, Manasseh. And Manasseh is 12 years old when he takes the throne. Think of this now. He's 12 when Hezekiah dies. Hezekiah got what? 15 more years. He was born during that extra 15 years that God gave him. So Manasseh is now on the throne. Manasseh comes on the, comes on the throne for fifth, uh, at, at, at 12 years of age. He, reigned, he, he uh, reigns for 55 years. And the Bible says he did that was wicked in the sight of the Lord. He was a wicked king. He didn't learn it from his daddy. He learned it from his granddad, but not from his dad. And he was a wicked king in Israel. And for most of his, for a lot of his existence as a king, he was a wicked king. But something happened. And God brought the kings of Assyria up out of Babylon. These Assyrian kings came up. They captured uh, Manasseh. They brought him down into Babylon. And the Bible says, in fetters of thorns and chains. And he was taken captive. He was taken captive by Babylon. While he was in Babylon, the Bible says he sought God. 
while he was in while he was in this in, in bondage there in Babylon, he sought God, and God heard him. And in Second Chronicles chapter thirty three, it says this in verse twelve. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. Look at this. And he was entreated of him and heard his supplication. And he brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Look at this. I love this verse. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Yeah. Manasseh turned out to be pretty good at the end of his life. You know what he did when he went home? When he went back to Jerusalem? He got rid of the idolatry. He kicked all the idols out. He opened up the temple. He, built, he fortified the wall. He built, he built up the military. He, he started the sacrifices again. The, the thanks offerings and all of the different offerings that would have gone taken place there at, 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 the, at the temple. Manasseh turned out to, to be really good at the end of his life. Now notice this. Now, now, now don't miss this. He was brought into bondage. He realized his condition. He humbled his heart before God. God heard him because he always hears when an individual humbles his heart before God. And because he humbled his heart before God, God brought him back to his place as king. And when he got back, he began doing the will of God. You notice something? That's a natural pattern of somebody whose heart is right with God. They obey him, don't they? And we're going to see this again. So he does what he he does right before God, and he brings them back. You know what the condition of his heart was manifest in his actions. The condition of his heart was manifest in his actions. Amen. Are you are you awake? All right. Good. Thought somebody was sleeping with Jana this morning over here. She didn't want to come the other day. Poor thing. She was sick and. And I told Judy, hey, people sleep in church. She can sleep right here and get better. Yeah. She, she doesn't do that. I'm teasing her. I'm teasing her. See what happens? I get myself in trouble every time. Look at verse 17. Chapter 33 of Second Chronicles. Look what it says. Now remember, Manasseh is right with God. He knows that God's, the Lord is God. Verse 17. Nevertheless, the people did sacrifice still in the high places. Yet unto the Lord their God only. You see that? No, it was the same shrines. It was the same high places. They were just doing. They were just serving God there. It, it was the same high places where the idolatry once took place. They just switched the idolatry for worshiping God. But we really know that the idolatry never really left. the The availability in the places for the idolatry. We're still there. Listen, the idolatry that Manasseh dealt with and drove out of Israel, it only went underground for a little while. And then it was allowed to resurface under his son, Ammon. So Manasseh dies after 55 years on the throne. And Ammon, his son, comes on the throne. Ammon is going to take the throne at 22 years old. He's going to die two years later because his own servants conspire against him because he's so wicked. He is a wicked king. I, I, I am sure that, you know, what his father taught him in his younger days obviously may have stayed with him. And he, in the Bible even says that he did not, in verse 23, it says, And humbled not himself before the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. But Amnon trespassed more and more. And he died after two years on the throne. But hold on a minute. 
in this short little life of Ammon, he only lived to be 24 years old. He had a child. He would have only been 16 when he was born. (laughs) Yeah. And he has a little boy and he named him Josiah. Hallelujah. And Josiah comes on the throne in chapter 34, verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. So Josiah is eight years old when he, when he becomes king. We have 58-year-olds that we would be afraid of being king, let alone eight-year-olds, right? But notice what, what Josiah does. Eight years into his reign, at 16 years of age, he's only 16 now, the Bible says that he begins to seek God. Look at verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after God, the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. So once again, Josiah at 16 years old seeks God. What happens? What happens with Josiah? We get the manifestation of his heart, which is what? Found in his actions. And he begins to do what his grandfather Manasseh did. And once again, he begins to clear out Israel. He begins, uh, uh, Judah of the, of the idolatry and the wickedness and the, and the idolatrous worship that was going on. Now, wait a minute. Jo- uh, uh, what's his name? Ammon was only king for two years. Manasseh had cleaned out Israel, and in two years' time, okay, we'll call it eight, uh, eight, nine, ten years' time, the idolatry is back to where Josiah has to go and clean out the land again? Yeah, because it only went underground. It was still there. Where was it? In the heart. It was still there. Now, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. We're at Manasseh. Manasseh dies, Ammon. Ammon dies, Josiah. Josiah's on the throne. Eight years old, he takes the throne. Sixteen years old, he's seeking after God. Twenty years old, he begins to wipe out Israel. At twenty-six years old, he begins to open up the temple again. What, what, what a history. Then enters Jeremiah. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. Now notice this. Josiah, history says, Josiah became king around 640 B.C. Jeremiah, uh, history says, was born anywhere from 640 to 650 B.C. So watch this. Jer- Josiah would have been born around 648 B.C. Jeremiah would have been, maybe we'll say, taken even between the two, born around 1645 B.C. They're possibly only three to five years apart. They might have gone to school together. They might have played together. They might have went to high school together if they did high school back then. I don't know. But they weren't that far apart. <clears throat> now notice this. When Jeremiah comes in in chapter 1 and verse 2, and he begins to prophesy, it says in Josiah's 13th year, that means Josiah is 21 years old when Jeremiah begins to prophesy, and Jeremiah is only somewhere between maybe 16 to 19 years old when God begins to work in him to prophesy against Judah. He's a young man. He's a kid. And God's using him. Now think about this. Josiah's been serving God for five years now. He's cleaned out all the idolatry. We talked about that. 
So if all of that's gone in the last five years, and Israel's cleaned out, why is Jeremiah prophesying? Why is Jeremiah warning Judah of what's to come? Why, why, is, there, why, why, is, God, why is he prophesying? Listen, let me tell you something. <clears throat> just because the king's heart is right, just because mom and dad's heart's right, just because maybe the preacher's heart's right, it doesn't mean the people's heart's right. It doesn't mean your kid's heart is right. It doesn't mean the church people. It doesn't mean their heart is right with God. Listen, God deals with individuals, not corporately. Yeah. Listen, this is exactly why for 20 chapters, Jeremiah is going to prophesy and warn the people of Judah. But not once is is Josiah mentioned in the first 20 chapters of Jeremiah. Why? His heart was right with God. Jeremiah, no, Jeremiah wasn't talking to Josiah. He was talking to individual people within Judah and Israel that their hearts were away from God and they were wicked with God and their idolatry was wrong. And, but he never mentions Josiah. And then the first time a king is ever mentioned is in Jeremiah chapter 21. And it's not even Josiah. It's talking to Josiah's son, Zedekiah, who was wicked. So listen, Jeremiah is not prophesying against Josiah. Now watch this. Josiah reigned for 31 years. Jeremiah prophesied beginning in Josiah's 13th year. And he warned the people of Israel that there was coming judgment for 18 years. 18 years God warned Israel. He warned Judah that judgment was coming. And he was warning them under a good godly king. Now hold on a minute. Judah refused to repent. They still didn't repent. Think about this. If repentance were to come in Judah, there was not a more conducive time for repentance than under Josiah. It would have been easy. The idolatry is gone. The temple's open. The the sacrifices, you want to bring a sacrifice to the temple? Get the lamb, drag it there, it's open. You know what? During During Josiah's dad's time, you couldn't have done it. It would have been closed up. During most of Manasseh's time, it wouldn't have happened. It would have been closed up. You couldn't have made a sacrifice. No, this, this was a time in Josiah's time was the easiest time, one of the easiest times to live for God. And they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Everything was open. Everything looked good. And jo- listen, Josiah had set the table perfectly and they still weren't showing up. They still weren't there. Let me, let me say it to you this way. Let me, let me say it to you this way. Judah looked good but their hearts were a long way off. No, everything looked right. Everything, everything was, was, was good on the outside, but something was wrong on the inside. You know, this is why in Jeremiah chapter 3, Judah is called treacherous. And Israel is called Backslidden. Look at look at Jeremiah chapter three and verse eight. Jeremiah chapter three and verse eight. Look what it says here in verse eight. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away, and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, 
went and played the harlot also. Do you know at this time, even during the time of Josiah, Israel was already in, the northern kingdom was already in captivity? And Judah was able to see this? And so what is the difference, you say? What is the difference between a backslidden Israel and treacherous Judah? I've mentioned this just recently. But when somebody is backslidden, listen, it's evident on the outside. You can see a backslidden life. You can see it in their countenance. You can see it in their church attendance. You can see it in, in the way they live and the way they dress and where they act and where they go and in the conversation of their life and, 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 and their entertainment. I mean, I can just go down the list. A backslidden individual, it is visible in their life on the outside. You can see it. And this is where Israel was. They were backslidden. And it was evident to everybody. But with Judah, <laughs> why did God call them treacherous? Because they were living the same way, but it was hidden on the inside. Kind of sounds like the prodigal son, doesn't it? There are two prodigals, you know, in that in that in that uh, in, in that parable. One was outward, and one was inward. Yeah. This is Judah. Judah. God calls Judah treacherous because everything looks good on the outside. They're, they're in, the temple's open, the idolatry's gone, they're, they're going to the temple kind of because they have to and because everybody else is and they don't want to look like they're not going. But inside, in their heart, dead man's bones, Jesus said. Inwardly, nothing. Nothing there. Which brings up a good question. And I, we're, we're going to get to Jeremiah 23 eventually. And I'm not going to go verse by verse here all the way to the back. Is your heart away from God? No, no, let me ask you. That's a good place for a question. To, to just take a, an introspect right now of your own life and say, where's your heart? Where's my heart right now? Would, 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 if somebody were, if God were to classify you, would, would, if, he, if He were to classify you with a, with a word, would He call you backslidden? Or would He call you treacherous? Hmm. I, I think not a bad question. No, no. Some, 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 some are backslidden. Some are backslidden. I mean, you can see it all over them. But some are treacherous, and you can't see it. But you know it. No, we know. We know when our heart's not right with God, don't we? We know it. We can go through the motions. We can go through the mechanics of religion. We can go through the rituals. We can go through everything there is. But inwardly, God says, "You're far from me. Far." Far from me. So what's one way to... If I could just pick one way to know when your heart is away from God, what would that one evidence be? Because I'll be honest, sometimes you can get caught up in the business, busyness of religion and you can just kind of miss it. And you look back and you kind of say, why am I so irritable? Where'd the joy go? Why is this why 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 is this just drudgery right now? Where's the peace? Why am I all tweaked all the time? You ever get there? No rest? <laughs> I think if there's one thing I could look at in the life of a believer as an indicator of where the heart is, I would probably look at this. When you read your Bible, because a lot of people who are okay on the outside, we're still reading their Bible. We're still praying. 
We're still going to church. We're still showing up. We're still giving. But there's an indicator sometimes. And one of those indicators is when you read your Bible, and hopefully you are, is God speaking to you? You ever have times in your life when you read and I'm telling you, you know, you know, it's as mechanical as anything else in your life. It's about as, it's the, the, the God speaking to you about as much as when He speaks to you while you're brushing your teeth, man. It, it, it's just mechanics. But there's other times when you're reading your Bible and I'm telling you the Word of God is bouncing off out of the page. It is alive and it's real. He's speaking to you all over the place. You're writing things down and underlining. And you're like, oh, I didn't see this and I didn't see that. This is good. <laughs> you ever been there? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the indications whether your heart is right with God or not. And I'm going to show you this and show you why. But one of the things I, I, to get to first is... Uh, you know, if, if you come to the point of realizing, hey, my heart is away from God, I can open the Bible. If I Maybe I've gotten so far I'm not even opening my Bible. Nobody knows but God that I haven't been reading anything. But even if some of you are here and you say, oh, I'm still reading, but listen, it's just mechanics. It's just religion. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, number one, let me give you this. Do what man has to do. Repent. No, humble your heart before God and say, my heart's wicked right now. My heart is away from God. My heart is away from you, Lord. And, and, I, and I've just been going through a bunch of rituals and everything may look good on the outside, but inside I'm dead right now and you're going to have to forgive me and do something. Yeah. Just repent. Yeah, it's that easy. Number two, the manifestation of a, 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 of a heart humbled before God. Obey what Manasseh did, didn't he? He began to clear out. Clear out. No, what did he do? He just began to do the will of God in his place where God put him. So did Josiah. So did Hezekiah. So does everybody whose heart is right with God. They begin to do what God wants them to do where they are. Now watch this. We obey God when our heart is right. But it's not out of ritual. It's not out of some perfunctory religious exercise. Obedience, listen, obe- let me say it this way. Obedience doesn't make us accepted in Christ. We already are. So you say, what does obedience do? Let me give you a quote. Let me see if I could. I, 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 shouldn't have, I should have done this. I love Oswald Chambers. He says this, I must get rid of the underlying idea that I could ever be right with God because of my obedience. Who of us could ever obey God to absolute perfection? You say, so why do we obey? I'm glad you asked. Jeremiah chapter 23. Why do we obey? Because you know what? When your heart gets right with God, when you come to a place maybe this morning and you say, Lord, my heart is away from you. I know it is. Would you forgive me? Would you change my heart? When you come to that and your heart is right with God, you know after that you're going to need to hear from God. You're going to need to know God. Look at verse chapter 20, 22. I'm sorry, chapter 22 of Jeremiah. Look at this in verse 15. Brother Jim read this earlier. Shalt thou reign because thou closest thyself in cedar? Hey, just because you got money, Bubba, and you got a nice house, and you're able, to, you're able to have the money to do whatever you want. Doesn't, that, that does not why you reign. It's not why you have your position. 
He said, Did not thy father eat and drink and do judgment and justice? And then it was well with him. He's speaking of Josiah now, his father. This is Shalom. This is the fourth son of Josiah. And look what he says in verse 16. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. What did he do? He he obeyed God. He obeyed God. Now notice this. Then it was well with him. I say this constantly. There's that wonderful little colon. The next, this next phrase is going to explain the one before it. What, what do you mean it was well with him? What, what do you mean? Was not this to know me? Saith the Lord. Watch. Did not Josiah obey me so he could know me? Huh. Do you know to know God more, we've got to obey God? You know they no, listen. Do you know Josiah did righteousness, did righteously, not to be accepted of God. And as we don't do that just for acceptance, because we are accepted in the beloved already, but we do righteously. We obey God out of a, a right heart. We serve God so we can know Him more. Amen. Yeah, you know that's why the evidence of a heart right with God, the the evidence of that, the the manifestation of that is obedience. But the that obedience opens the Word of God to you, so God can speak again. No, why would God speak to an unbeliever? You know, when you're living in sin and a heart away from God, you're living as an unbeliever, and why would God speak to an unbeliever that way? He's not going to. Yeah. So Josiah obeyed. Josiah did obedience. And this is why Josiah obeyed. He obeyed so he could know God. No, he says, you know what? I want to know God more. My heart is right with Him. I love God. I have an appetite for God. And I want to know Him more. And he, somehow He realized the only way I'm going to know God more is if I obey. Because if I obey, listen, God is just going to continue to reveal Himself to me. That's obedience. That is the reason for me. Turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Matthew chapter 11. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said, learn of me, didn't He? Matthew chapter 11. And look at verse 27. And the Bible says this, All things are delivered unto me, Jesus said, of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he, he to whomsoever the Son will, will reveal Him. God is revealed. Verse 28, Come unto me, all ye labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Look at this. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest Unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you notice, do you see this with the knowledge of Jesus Christ brings? He said to learn of me. You know what it brings? It brings rest. It brings an easy toil and it brings a light burden. Yeah. You know, a right heart will bring obedience, and obedience will bring knowledge. And knowledge brings what? Rest. Rest. Ask for the old paths, where is the good way? And therein shall you find what? Rest for your souls. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. That word means cause to stumble. They have peace. They have rest. Well, how do you get peace and rest? Well, you can only get it by the knowledge of God. How can you get the knowledge of God? Well, you can only get it if you're living in obedience. How can you live in obedience? Only if your heart is right. See the process? You see what Josiah, what God revealed to us through Josiah? He obeyed so he could know God. And to know God is to have peace 
and trust and, and acceptance and joy. Do you see? Yeah. You know, we don't have rest because we don't have knowledge. And we don't have knowledge because we don't have obedience. And we don't have obedience because obedience we don't have a right heart. So the more you know, the more you trust, the more you trust, the more you obey, the more you obey, the more you trust. It just goes around and around and around and around. So let me ask you, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Do you know if you're not hearing from God today? If the heavens are like a brass when you pray? If the preaching goes out and it's just as dead as can be? If you read the Bible and then nothing comes off of the pages to you, I'm telling you, you're out of the will of God, you have a problem with your heart, you're not obeying, and you're not right with God. It's a wonderful indicator, a wonderful barometer of where we are. You know, if your heart is away from God and you need to humble your heart, you just need to repent is all you need to do. Just tell God, yeah, my heart's away. I agree, I agree. It's, it's, it's a long ways away from you right now. You know what a repentant heart brings? Naturally, obedience. So when you do read, you can hear. And when you do read and when you do hear, when you do learn of God, rest comes. Are you in rest today? Have you? Let me ask you, is there a time in your life, any time at all, when you can look back and say, I was closer to God over here. I know I was. You know what that means? You already know. I don't even need to tell you. It's like 2 minus 1 is 4, right? No, that's new math. That's joking. That's joking. No, it's simple. Your heart's away from God. And everything may look right on the outside. But inside, you have a problem. Where's your heart today? Where's your heart? Do you know why you need to hear from God? It's not possible to trust somebody that you don't know about. And unlike human beings, sometimes the more you know, the less you like about what you find out. But that is never the case with our God. Because the more we find out, the more we learn, the deeper we get, the more wonderful He becomes. The more easy He becomes to trust. The greater rest that we get to have when we trust Him. Where is He in your life? Would you stand? Father, thank You for Your Word today. God, I pray Your Holy Spirit would just make this as plain as could be. And Lord, would You do a work this morning in the hearts of people that are far, far away from You. There may, I'm sure not everybody is there, but it's possible some are. We're all human. We still have the propensity of sin. We can get away from God. God, would You direct in the invitation? We thank You in Jesus' name. While your heads are bowed, there's nobody looking around, please. Would anybody be honest with God this morning and say, you know what? I think this morning, actually no, I know this morning, my heart's a little bit away from God. I know it is.